Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Thursday, June 3rd. The question coming out of day five of the 2021 French Open is the women's singles title Iga Sviantek's to lose? The answer to that is probably yes. You look at the seeds that have been eliminated thus far. We're down our top two seeds now through the second round as Ashley Barty withdraws down a set to Magda Lynette. She came into this event nursing a hip injury, that hip just unfortunately not allowing her to continue to play. And now you look at the seeds that have been eliminated, seven of the top 12. We've lost Grand Slam champions in Barty, Osaka, Andrescu, Kvitova, and Muguruza. You add Pliskova, Bencic to the mix. You even want to throw in a Kuder Matova, given her level here this season. A lot of upsets across the board, and thus, we have a wide-open women's draw. And, you know, just quickly, we'll talk about it more throughout the podcast, but via the eye test, Iga Sviantek's now won nine consecutive matches in Paris, all of them in a straight-set fashion. I think it's pretty safe to say she is the favorite, but again, we'll explore that throughout today's podcast, talk about the rest of the results we saw on day five. Roger Federer pushed two four sets against Marin Cilic. He ultimately comes through in that affair. I want to talk about my thoughts on Roger, why even if he doesn't advance that much further in this French Open, this of course bodes well for his chances at Wimbledon. Of course, we'll run through the upsets on the day, talk about the rest of the matches as well, and then I'll give you my thoughts on some of the battles we have set for day six. But of course, 
And the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here on the Mini Break Podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, because of the friends uh, support we get from our friends at Tennis Point. Now, some of you are thinking, Tennis Point, isn't this a Midwest sports pod? Well, Midwest sports has become Tennis Point, and that is a topic we explore on today's Cracked Interviews podcast with our friend Dave Limke over at Tennis Point. We talk a bit about the rebranding. We talk about, of course, the excitement of being able to have a full capacity crowd at this year's Western and Southern Open. We talk a little French Open as well. It's a fantastic interview. I know you all will enjoy. So go check that out. And while you're at it, go check out tennis-point.com. That's dash the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. If you type in midwestsports.com, you'll be redirected there, but you might as well just get in the habit of tennis-point.com right now. You'll find the best gear at the best prices. Of course, the promo code CR15, 15% off all of your orders, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Again, it's now tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. But with that in mind, let's get back into the openness now of this French Open draw. And honestly, we can go quarter by quarter. And of course, our friends at Tennis Abstract provide a fantastic draw forecast. If you know the 538 forecasts, uh, perhaps if you follow electoral politics or you just use their forecast for NBA championships, whatever it may be, Tennis Abstract's the place to go for tennis uh, forecasts. You look at the women's singles draw forecast coming in to this round of 16. Iga Świątek is now a clear-cut favorite via the, their formula to win the event. She has a 27.6% chance of winning. That, of course, is based on her ELO rating. She's in up there with Barty and Halep in terms of the top clay court-specific ELO rating. She's also 30-8 and eight now in her last 52 matches. Coming in second place, well, there's been some changes now because I'm not going to lie, I'm recording this Friday morning, and so I know some of the, the results that happened. But currently in second right now, the only other player in double digits is Alina Svitolina at 10.9% chance. You've got Coco Goff at a 9.6. You've got you know Serena only 1.8. It's actually Vika with a 5.9 chance. That's the highest in that section. Actually, Scratch that. Paula Bedosa, who has been excellent this season, 9% chance, so she would technically be fourth. And again, that top four via their forecast, Shiantek, Svitolina, Goff, Bedosa. I mean, I think we all would agree Ika Shiantek is in a tier on, in her, on her own at this point. And, you know, again, her result today, it was a one-in-one victory for her over Rebecca Peterson, which is only notable because it was freaking one-in-one. And you look at, again, her last nine results, straight sets over Peterson, Yvonne, you date back to last year's French Open, Kennan, Podoroska, Trevisan, Halep, Bouchard, Suesiv, Andrusova. She's been dominant. I mean, her only loss on the clay courts this year was to Ashley Barty in Madrid. And, you know, she then went on and won Rome, and she's looked dominant here thus far. She continues to succeed on her first serve points. That She's one of the four players who's a top 15 uh, player in both hold percentage, how frequently she's holding serve and break percentage, how frequently she's breaking serve. And for the record, she's top 10 in both categories. And yeah, we're watching a player... And the craziest part, again, is she just turned 20 years old. This is only the beginning as she continues to develop physically, just turns 22, 23, 24 years old, the experience and, you know, again, the muscle that comes with that sort of time. She's only going to get better from here. It's crazy to think because she already moves so well. The ball explodes off her racket. That forehand is so heavy. 
this event is hers to lose, and you start to filter through Tier 2 of that list, and I know I tweeted this out earlier, and again, there's nothing I enjoy doing than quoting my own Twitter uh, more. I should say enjoy doing more. Anyways, uh, you look at, like, the tiers right now. I don't know. Is it, you know, Serena Tier 2 just by experience? Has she looked that good, pushed to three sets against Boost and Rescue? Like, maybe. I mean, that bottom half of the draw is wide open when you look at it. It's, you know, Serena's got Rabaka. Well, Danielle Collins, she's got to win that match first, but then it would be Rabakana and, you know, then potentially Avika. Like, is that that threatening of a draw to Serena? I don't know. Because neither of those players have had particular experience or success uh, in the second week of the French Open. But again, eye test wise, has Serena looked that good? I don't know yet if she could beat Iga. I certainly would take Iga. I imagine most of you would as well. You know, Vondrusova's been in the finals, so at least we've seen that before. And she's played some really good tennis here uh, this week. And, you know, Bedosa has been excellent all clay court season. I mean, Svitolina in that top quarter, she's the most experienced of the group left there. You look again at that uh, grouping, you know, in her quarter, it's Brady, Goff, Jabour, Mukova, the seeds, then Stevens, Krejcikova, and Lynette. You probably take Svitolina, but you could talk yourself into Coco Goff or Jennifer Brady without sounding crazy. And then, yeah, I, I just think Iga is on a tier on her own. I would probably go Iga Tier 1, then Serena, Vandrusova and Bedosa, and Svitolina. Maybe Vika in there as well, Tier 2. I love Rabakina's game. I think she does have an elite trait, which is just what you need. You need an elite skill to compete in those second week of Grand Slams. And when she serves her best, her plus one tennis is in that elite power category. I think you can make a case for her being a top five server. Certainly she was in 2020 via Tennis Abstracts leaderboard. You know, that first serve, her power tennis, it can be elite. So I think she's a dark horse. And again, she's just in the section of the draw she would play the winner of Serena or Collins. I test-wise, Rapakinas looked as good as both of them. So I think that's dark horse. Conteve's just got to beat Iga. If she does, then it's a wide-open race. But, of course, that's a big if. And, you know, Iga's obviously got the advantage. She does everything a little bit better than Conteve. But just an eye on that. And then Goff and Mertens because they're freaking good. And I've made the case for both of them. I guess the Coco case is you've seen how excellent she looks, and she has been that good here uh, in this, uh, you know, 2021 clay court portion of the year. You look at what she's done overall, just in case uh, you aren't following it too closely. 33-15 and 15 in her last 52 weeks, 25-9 and nine here in 2021. She went to Charleston, lost to Jabour, but, you know, tough loss for her. Three sets to Pliskova in Madrid. She bounced back by making the semifinals of Rome, by beating Sabalenka, beating Sakari, beating Putin Seva before losing to Iga. She then won in Parma, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and, you know, wasn't she beat Kanepi, Anisimova, Sinyakova. Those are all good wins on clay, and now... Two straight set wins for her to kick off her clay court campaign. Why can't she beat Jennifer Brady, who just got pushed to a physical three-set match against Fiona Farrow? And we can get into that match now. Again, I do think it's Iga's to lose, but it's interesting. Some of the other names, maybe you do think Jennifer Brady, just because she has had Grand Slam success of late, and you look for her overall. Uh, She was excellent in her match against Fiona Farrow. It was a 6-4, 2-6, 7-5 victory over Farrow, and this was such an excellent contrast of styles because Fiona Farrow is a grinder, 
And her her difficulty to generate pace, or in particular, I suppose, absorb and redirect the pace of Brady, at least in an offensive matter, uh, definitely was the difference in this match. It felt like Brady was on her front foot in particular, though she didn't break until five uh, six five up in the third set. She had it felt like a bunch of chances in Pharaoh's service game, thirty all uh, games, deuce games, where Pharaoh was able to just grind Brady down, find that backhand, and you look for Fiona Pharaoh, she was really, really solid in this match. You know, 25 winners against 40 unforced errors, but Brady put so much pressure on her, and that unforced errors category is always a little bit sketchy. I just thought Farrow did a great job, again, so disciplined finding the Brady backhand, but Brady was even better at finding forehands out of that quarter, and she was so effective with her first serve as well. Effective on serve in general, she won 60% of her first serve points, 51% of her second serve points, fought off six of the seven break points she faced, I mean, because she was able to find big first serves when she needed them. And she only made 51% of her first serves, and I think that's why she was under a lot of pressure, particularly in that second set, which, you know, Farrah was able to take. She made only 37% of her first serves. But she kind of, you know, again, steadied the ship, 52% first serve percentage in the third set, which isn't great, but it was enough. She was effective with her placement in that first, uh, with her first serve, you know, going big out wide on the ad side so that she could find forehand or, you know, when she landed the first serve, she's gonna find a first forehand. And you look overall for Brady in the match, she won, uh, she hit 28 winners against 33 unforced errors. She was willing to grind with Pharaoh because Pharaoh didn't, you know, Pharaoh did a really good job of hitting behind her in rallies, but there was, it was hard for Pharaoh to, you know, rip big winners to the open court. Brady did a really good job of tracking most of that down. Now you look at the rally stats again, not gonna surprise you, or perhaps it will surprise you, uh, to learn that Fiona Pharaoh, it just surprised me. Won 52 of her 0-4 to four shot rallies, Brady only 42, but again, that's because Farrow made a higher percentage of her first serves, not because, in my opinion, she was more effective with her first serves. You look for Farrow, she made 64% of her first serves. She had more chances to play 0-4 to four shot rallies on serve. That's why that number skews towards her, uh, just or at least that's my opinion of the stat in this instance. But Brady won 51 of the five-plus shot rallies. Farrow only 36. That shows Brady's willingness to grind. And look, is she known for her clay court prowess? No, but we really haven't seen that big of a sample size yet of Jennifer Brady on clay. And you know, that was a really tough test because certainly physically, Farrow had the athleticism to track down a lot of the first forehands Brady hit. Now, why those five plus numbers look so good is because it's the second forehand, the third forehand, how heavy Brady hits it. Good luck tracking that ball down. But, you know, good wins over Stevasova and Farrow uh, to get to the third round where now she's going to have Goff and certainly she's going to have chances to play attacking tennis. You know, again, her results here in the clay court season, she lost to Kvitova. She beat Ostapenko, Venus, before losing to Pavlchenkova, who, by the time you're listening to this, you'll probably know, beats Arena Sabalenka today in three sets. And that was a three-set loss for Pavlchen- uh, for Brady to Pavlchenkova. Certainly looks better um, with time. Yeah, I, I, Jennifer Brady got injured in Rome or just, you know, was being tentative so that she could peak now. The question is physically, is she going to be able to handle the test with Goff? Because Goff's going to make a ton of extra balls and, you know, her first serve is going to put Brady under pressure. Brady's going to have to, you know, return well, particularly off that backhand wing. But it does feel like that match is going to be on Jennifer Brady's racket. Again, she was excellent in her victory today. It was a uh, 
6-4, win over Farrow. And again, for Fiona Farrow, that's just a tough draw. She played well enough to win the match. And you look in terms of total points, it was, you know, 93 to Brady, 88 to Farrow. Farrow was right there serving 5-6 in the third set. But Brady just a little bit more firepower. And ultimately, she was disciplined enough on the day to get by Fiona Farrow. That was my favorite match to watch. But of course, the match that caught all of our attention Roger Federer, Marin Cilic. Cilic is one of the rare guys to have played Federer now at every Grand Slam. And, you know, a couple of them, you, uh, Australian Open, Wimbledon, were Grand Slam finals. And, you know, I believe the year Cilic made and won the U.S. Open, he beat Federer, I want to say, in the semifinals. But for this match, it's a different Federer-Cilic matchup. You can. This was the first time you're like, oh, this match is happening in 2021. Because holding serve was such a priority, and I'm not saying it's not always a priority, but I'm saying the return numbers were not pretty for either of these players, particularly on first serve points. Both guys won 75% of their first serve points. You look for Federer on the match, he made 68% of his first serves, won uh, 60 of 80 first serve points. That's usually a winning number for him, but you know, Chilich hung with him when he was able to land first serves, able to play plus one tennis. Chilich made 64% of his first serves, which is solid when you're, that usually wins you a match when you're not playing Roger freaking Federer. And he went 58 of 77, you know, 75% win percentage on his first serve. You look at the numbers in this match, look, Federer's zero to four shot numbers are always going to be scary. And he went 97 of of zero to four shot rallies on his serve, uh, you know, for Chil- or excuse me, in the match for Chilich, he won 82 of the zero to four shot rallies. He hung in there, but the problem was you look at that, the slightly lower uh, first serve percentage led to more points on the Marin Chilich second serve, and that's when Federer jumped on him, was able to either run around and hit a big forehand return or hit that chip deep and low and force Chilich to get extended to the outer thirds where he just doesn't look like he used to look. And, you know, Chilich went 17 of 43, 40% on second serve points. Meanwhile, Federer is going to hit the same serve twice, um, except for when it's four all or five all, I suppose, in the fifth set against Djokovic, but that's a story for a different time. Um, but for Federer, he was 21 and 37 on second serve points, won 57% of them. He played aggressive. He played to win. He played Roger Federer tennis. You look at the numbers, 47 winners for him against only 27 unforced errors. Now, again, that low unforced error count is a testament to, you know, at this point, if Chilich got him on a plus one ball, Federer is not looking to grind that ball down. Federer is guessing. And if he guesses right, he's probably going to land the passing shot. But if he doesn't guess right, congratulations, you've hit a winner. Uh, Chilich hit 43 of them on the match, 244 unforced errors. But you know, again, Federer played efficient from start to finish. You know, for Marin Cilic in the match, he only, I believe, uh, had, well, you know, I, oh, he actually broke Federer five times. That's pretty good, but Federer broke him nine times. Uh, oh, no, excuse me. Let's try that again. Federer broke, uh, was five of 16 on breakpoint chances. Cilic was three of eight. There we go. So if Cilic broke him three times, Federer broke him five. Um, I don't know where I'm at. Hey, great shot. But, you know, again, Yes, Federer did not play the the, the majority of the breaks were in that uh, third set, but Federer bounced back and played a clean tiebreaker, and it was the double fault for Marin Cilic in that third set tiebreaker that separated the two, and that's a testament to, again, Federer made his first serve and played attacking tennis on the second serve points in the biggest moments, and when Cilic had hit a second serve, Federer pounced on it. And so in terms of Roger now looking at his draw moving forward, it's interesting because, I mean, look, it, it's tough for him. He's got Djokovic, and, or he's got uh, Dominic Cope for next, and that is a lefty, you know, on the clay courts. We've seen that recipe against Roger Federer work before. The question is, is Dom Kopfer, the former Tulane number one singles player in the country, 
uh, ready for that stage. Kofor's been good of late, and he certainly had some uh, notable clay court results in the last few seasons. You look for him in particular in the warm-up events uh, coming into last year's French Open. He goes to Rome, comes through qualifying, makes the quarterfinals, beat Monfils and Musetti before losing in three to Djokovic. You look uh, for him this year, uh, qualified again in Monte Carlo before losing to Cecinato, but you know, again, lost to Struff in three in Munich, uh, lost to Garen in Madrid, lost to Rude in three in Geneva. He's played a lot of good players close. Uh, certainly, it was a good win for him over Taylor Fritz in four sets, although Fritz gets injured towards the end of that match, and hopefully he'll be okay moving forward. But, you know, Kofor extended that match physically, put enough returns in play, and was able to withstand the first strike of Fritz. Now, is even more precise than Fritz in. That was the obvious statement of the day brought to you by Tennis Point. Um, but it, it's a different first strike. Like, the heaviness of Taylor Fritz's ball, honestly, at this point, it's probably heavier than the ball Roger Federer hits. But the precision of Roger Federer is always what has made him elite. And the question is, is Kofor going to be able to, A, anticipate that precision, or B, move well enough in the outer thirds of the court, make enough first serves to pressure the Federer return and be able to hit his first forehand just to the open court and be decisive enough to not be afraid to attack the Roger Federer forehand, you know, be able to move his backhand. Nadal, the other lefty who's had a lot of success against Federer, that's statement number two, um, Nadal is so disciplined at hitting his left-handed backhand down the line right back to the Federer backhand. Is Kofor going to be able to hit backhands down the line well enough in that third-round matchup? It's it's a good question to ask, and certainly, again, physically, I think Kofor's up for the task. We'll see how Federer responds after a day's rest, uh, after a you know relatively physical four-set match against Cilic. Um But, again, that's going to be a fun one. Certainly a match Roger Federer can win. Now, long-term, just getting one good week of matches and then, you know, grass court season is upon us. That's all really Roger Federer needed out of this French Open because, of course, let's be honest, if the if the goal is still chasing Grand Slams, Wimbledon's the place Roger Federer has the best chance to do it. The serve has been effective for Federer, and that is the key through his first two matches. Now, again, they were relatively simple first strike matches, but those are the sort of matches he's going to have to execute uh, at 100% at to win Wimbledon. And he's done well enough on these clay courts, and certainly physically he continues to look like he moves just fine. It just looks so easy for Federer. He advances in four sets over Chilich, and again, long-term, or at least in the short-term, focusing on Wimbledon, which is the long-term picture in the immediate for Roger Federer, I think he's trending in the correct direction where you want him to be if you're a Roger Federer fan. But again, uh, he advances four sets over Miran Chilich. Those are the breakdowns for the day. Now, again, there were a couple of upsets I do want to touch on. Let's start with the women's side. Sloane Stevens is starting to look like Sloane Stevens again. And when I say that, I'm not saying she's the player she was right now in 2017, 2018, where there was just a confidence to her that, respectfully, she doesn't... Let me rephrase. It's not the confidence on the court in her mentality. It's the confidence in swinging that forehand down the line and landing it with success or going big backhand because, you know what, I've been making my big backhand. And I don't think Sloan's level is quite there yet, but you look for her this clay court season, and of late, she's trending in the right direction. And I think for her to play Parma, make the semifinals there, beat Kasekina in three sets, I think that was a critical result for her, particularly after dropping that set 6-1 and she's played good tennis thus far. The Carlos Suarez-Navarro result, we talk about it with Gil Gross, that's such a tough match for any opponent to play because how can you not have admiration and just 
be so amazed with what Carlos Suarez Navarro was able to do. Um, but she gets through that match, and now she beats Pliskova 5-1. and one, And, you know, again, she played a relatively clean match. I'm not going to break down this match to the extent I broke down the others, but you look at how she was able to pull off that upset yesterday. She executed uh, in the big moments, and the, the big numbers look good. She made 74% of her first serves. That's what you need to do against Carolina Pliskova, so you can hit the first strike to the open court, get her stretched, not let her play from the center, because when she does, she looks so exceptional. And she won 69% of those first serve points. Now, when Pliskova was able to play first strike, whether on her first serve points or more importantly, the Stevens second serve points, she looked like Carolina Pliskova. But Pliskova made only 57% of her first serve, 17 winners against 38 unforced errors. She had to start pressing because Sloan was doing such a good job of moving down the uh, moving the ball around. And even when Pliskova was able to fir- play first strike, Get redirecting that ball to the open court and, you know, turning defense into offense. And Sloan played efficient. 22 winners, 17 unforced errors. She did, you know, was able to extend rallies. And you look at the the longer points, she she won the the five-plus shot rallies, 32 to 28. She was able to play more zero-to-four shots, Her testament to her ability to attack the open court. You know, she won 45 of those rallies to Pliskova's 28. She was just better than Pliskova in every facet, and obviously that second set helped her run away and uh, run those stats up a little bit, but she made a high percentage of her first serves all match long. She advances now to the third round, and again, why can't she do a little bit of damage in her section of the draw. You look now, she could beat Bukova. Why not? And then a matchup with Svitolina. We've seen Sloane Stevens win a French Open. And so, or excuse me, we've seen Sloane Stevens play a French Open final. So, yeah, it's just, it's interesting, right? It's very, very interesting for Sloane. And, you know, again, do I think she's quite at the level she was when she captured a Grand Slam title? I don't think she's quite at that level, but she's getting closer. And she's playing confidently, and it's a fun thing to see. And again, she would play the winner now of if she's able to get through Mukova, which is a match she absolutely can. That's going to be a physical match, though. Probably gets Fidelina next, and then the winner of the Goff, Brady, Lynette, Jabour quartet. Sloane Stevens is in a dangerous position, folks. This is going to be a really fun finish to this women's singles event. Uh, but again, those were the big, uh, you know, that was the big women's update uh, upset. I suppose Krechikova beating Alexandrova, a little surprising, but Krechikova has been playing great. Two and three victory for her. And then again, you know, the seeds eliminated after the second round. Barty, Osaka, Andrescu, Pliskova, Bencic, Kvitova, Muguruza, Burtons, Kanta, Martic, Kerber, Kudermatova, and Alexandrova. Given the, you know, uh, the injuries to Barty, to Kvitova, to uh, Muguruza, you can understand those. Andrescu's loss to Zidanezic, a little disappointing, but she still looked really, really good thus far, and she's still alive. She made the second week of the event, and Andrescu served for that match. Outside of that, the rest of the seeds may be Kudermatova, but again, this is the nature of these uh, of the WTA Tour right now, the parodies in full effect, and certainly it does feel like an open slam, out, or it does feel like an open, who's going to challenge Iga? That's the question, right? That is certainly the question uh, heading into round number three, but... Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Now let's switch gears and talk about the men's side. 
and I'm sorry to beat that dead horse. I just really, I'm fascinated by the topic moving forward. I know we talked about it quite a bit today, but now switch gears, talk about the men's. Bunch of upsets on the day. And in particular, you got to give a shout out to, uh, we mentioned Dom Cope for a four set win over Fritz. Carlos Alcaraz continues to look exceptional. 6-4, win over Basilashvili. Physically, he's able to hang at this level, folks. And he's not even 20 years old yet. Not even 19 years old yet. Um, yeah, he's, you know, if 18, he's barely 18. I think he just had his birthday, if memory serves me correct. But he was able to withstand the first strike of Basilashvili. He was able to get his return deep enough that Basilashvili wasn't able to tee off on nearly as many forehands as you'd have expected. And then... His forehand is as heavy as you're going to find, and his ability to move that ball around the court, his ability to find forehands in a bunch of different positions on these clay courts, his ability to hit that kick serve, his comfort moving forward, incorporating the backhand drop shot, he just keeps you off balance, and it's a really clever game. And again, over under one and a half French Open titles in his career, given his age, he's got probably a 15-year window ahead of him to do it. Do you take the over? It's an interesting question. Um, but certainly, you know, him beating Basilashvili, I don't think is a huge upset. It's more just, again, a continuation of the narrative. It makes sense. Carlos Alcarez is into the third round. I think he's the youngest guy to do it in like 15 years to reach the third round of the French Open. Uh, yeah, I think since either Djokovic or certainly, yeah, because I think Nadal is a little bit younger. Anyways, Alcaraz advancing to the third round. Cope for advancing as well. You also saw a win from Mikhail Yimmer. 6-love, 2-6-6-4-6-3 over Gael Monfils. Now, you know, physically Monfils obviously has been so banged up all year long. Still not where he needs to be to be competing into second weeks of Roland Garros, of Grand Slams in general. But look, Yimmer physically... He's ready to be in the top 100. His ability to move the ball around the court, his ability to move in the outer thirds, play within the outer thirds as well. Uh, he took it to Monfils. And again, his backhand just so rock solid. His ability to drive that ball through the court, even a clay court, the heaviness of his forehand. I do think that's the side if you attack with pace, uh, he'll leave that ball a little bit short. But when he has time to attack as he did in the rallies against Monfils, he looks really, really good. And so I, this has always been a Mikhail Yimmer fan uh, fan podcast. And so the Emir brother uh, looking particularly impressive. I, I say the, one of the Emir brothers because El, Elias, Elias, I, I think it's Elias, uh, the older brother. Again, they've both been highly successful throughout their junior careers coming up the challenger ranks. Mikhail now into the top 100. He looked great against Monfils. Chechenato Di Manure, another one of those upsets, I think, in seeding only. Chechenato has been the better clay court player throughout the warm-up events, and he earns the four-set win over Di Manure, who still doesn't look incredibly comfortable on the surface. And he was, let's be honest, struggled throughout this 2021, I'd say these past few months, but now we're back on the grass courts, and no one is going to be happier about that than Di Manauer. Uh You look at the last one. This one was a puzzler. Cole Schreiber over Karatsev, 6-3, 7-6, 4-6, 6-1. Interessante. I like again. I guess that's Cole Schreiber for you. He's always looked so good on these clay courts when he has a little bit more time to swing through that backhand to incorporate his slice with just knives through that court. And Karatsev just didn't look comfortable in this one. And again, that second set tiebreaker was so critical because I think if it goes to Karatsev now, he's up two sets to one heading into that fourth set. And Karatsev just kind of went away physically in the fourth once Cole Schreiber was able to get an early break. You know, Karatsev didn't serve particularly well. He just 
He looked off in the match, but it's a credit to Cole Schreiber who just stays alive. Cash that check, Phil. Uh, Four-set win for him. And now, again, you look at the seeds eliminated at this event. Team out, Rublev out. Those two certainly surprising. Bautista, Gut, Goffin, Monfils, Dimitrov, Hercots are all top 20 seeds eliminated. I mean, by context, Goffin lost to Musetti. Dimitrov was injured. You're really not too shocked, perhaps, about any of them, but Bautista Agut, Hercat's fifth set. He was up two sets to love. Um, and then you have FAA, Hachinov, Evans, Sinego, Umber, Basilishvili, Karatev, Demonauer, Fritz eliminated. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. In the men's side, you look at the rest of the results on the day. The matches that went the distance, uh, only two on the women's side end up going three sets. Other than the Pharaoh match, you had uh, Elisa Mertens escaping in three, four, six, six, two, six, four over Zarina Diaz. You had Gracheva in three sets over Georgie in terms of your seeds on the day. Kennan looked good, five and three win over Haley Baptiste. I'm on the Haley Baptiste bandwagon. I see it again. Uh, her game looked very, very good at this French Open. It'll be fun to watch her develop. Ditto, ditto for Ann Lee, who just you know, wasn't quite able to hang in the outer thirds with Svitolina, who is able to withstand the first strike of Ann Lee and looks awfully comfortable heading into this third round. One and one win for Ego. We already talked about Sakari, Mukova, straight set wins. Goff, Jabour, Pagula, Kanteve, the same as uh, Marta Kostyuk advancing to her first slam, or I think her second slam third round uh, with the win over Zhang. By the way, those are all names we've talked, minus Svitolina, to be, uh, excuse me, minus Kennan, to be honest. Those are names that have dominated week in, week out on tour this season. Svitolina, Sakari, Jabour, uh, Kanteve. How frequently are we talking about those players on this mini break podcast? And then, you know, we know how good Ika is. Coco Goff, ditto. She has been excellent this week. And the reason we haven't talked about her as much is because I was talking college tennis when she was having all this success in the warm-up events to the French Open. And then, you know, I talked about it with Jeff Sackman, Kanteve, Kostyuk. They're excellent. We know Svitolina. This is shaping to be, I'll say it last time, I promised, a very fun second week at the French Open for this women's singles event. And then on the men's side, Djokovic, Nadal, outstanding as always. They're on a collision course for the semifinals. I'm willing to hit fast forward if all of you are because that match is going to be exceptional. Berrettini looks really good. And to be honest, I test. He's the favorite over Federer if they match up in, what would that be, the round of 16 Schwartzman's coming alive, three-set win over Bedene, Sinner, Sinman, into the third round again. That's a thing you're going to hear quite a bit over the next decade. Four-set win over Jean-Luc Magier. Also had win from Struff, uh, Barankis, and then, you know, shout-out to Cam Norrie. It's real, folks. He has been that good in this 2021 season into the third round. Clay court specialist? Definitely not. And he's going to enjoy getting on the grass as well. But what this shows is he can play on all three surfaces. And what does that mean? I think he's going to be top 50 for a really long time, folks. He's getting his foothold in that top 50. He's not going away. That game is just so rock solid. And physically, he gets better and better. Four-set win for him over Lloyd Harris. Musetti and Kwan, again, names we've talked about quite a bit here on the mini break. You guys know all about Lorenzo Musetti, so all I have to say, three-set win for him. Nishioka just couldn't hurt him. And then Sunu Kwan, he's just rock solid. Again, another one of those guys who can do a lot of things very well. I'm interested to see him compete on grass, but he's not done with the clay yet. Straight-set win over Seppi. Now you look for Kwan and his draw moving forward. He will match up uh, against, I believe, Sunu Kwan playing Matteo Berrettini. Berrettini's a heavy favorite in that match. 
But I think Quan's another guy who can play on all three surfaces. And, you know, again, if you don't have a big first serve to hurt him with because he's like 5'10", and that is an issue uh, if you have the big first serve like Berrettini does, if he can get into your body and, you know, he can dictate from the baseline, it looks really good. He can drive through the ball. Uh, so I'm, I I think that's a guy who's going to be in the top 50 as well for a healthy portion of his career. Good result from him. Those are your day five results. Now, in terms of day six, again, by the time you're listening to this podcast, a lot of it has unfolded. But I will just say of the matches that haven't gone on yet, Williams-Collins is going to be explosive tennis. I think, you know... I, I I do think I'm not ready to say Danielle Collins upset. This is the litmus test. Can Serena withstand the first strike of Danielle Collins? If she can, if she wins this match in straight sets, it's time to start asking, oh man, can Serena Williams make the final of this French Open? Because she's the highest seeded player left in the bottom half of the draw. You look on the men's side, Opelka Medvedev, Isner Tsitsipas. It's the one day you really do want to watch the seven-footers play tennis because those are two fascinating matchups. Garon versus Garin, that's a really fun one. Johnson versus PCB, that's a crack racket special because shout-out Stevie J. Good tennis across the board should be another fun day at the 2021 French Open. Of course, we will be back tomorrow to recap all of the action. Look out for our aces of the day as well, which you can find every night on our Great Shot podcast feed. And of course, if you've missed any of the action, you can catch up on all of it on our website, CrackRackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Leader and Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job they do day in, day out. It's not just this podcast, the aces of the day. Our GSP college tennis finale, our mailbag section is out. It's a doozy, folks. That's all I can say. And again, you can find it all on the website, crackedrackets.com. But with that in mind, oh, shout out as always to our friends at Tennis Point. Go hear from Dave Lemke on the Cracked Interviews podcast. And again, tennis-point.com, the place where you can find the best gear at the best uh, prices. But with that in mind, for Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.